Hello, everybody. This is Nick Pupo. I just wanted to tell you to please um, rate this podcast five stars if you like it. Review it. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, you know, do all the stuff that you're supposed to do for podcasts that you like. We did mess up this episode. We recorded about 20 minutes and then realized that it was not uh, recording. So that's what happened here. But it's good, so enjoy. The only okay and we're back yep round two round two so uh just to give you guys a little update we did record about i think 20 minutes of a podcast yep and uh the old classic uh was not recording yep we had a bit of a technical difficulty so we're gonna try to go through uh what we already did without making it sound too rehashed yeah no but it'll be great but um, that's a loud siren, but I, I, I like it for the pod. Yeah, you know, it's fine. We're, you know, we're, uh, we're recording in an apartment. You know, we don't have a budget for a studio no yet. No studio, yeah. We got to unplug my fridge. We got to turn the AC off. I mean, it's a whole to do. But um, uh, welcome back to, we have a title now. Yep. And the title is The Only Horror Movie Podcast with Nick and Joe. That's right. We're your hosts. I'm Joe Chapowski. This is Nick Pupo. And, you know, we went with that name because we're the only we're the only horror movie podcast that exists. We couldn't find any others. Yeah, we did our research. We really dug down deep into the interwebs and uh, we found nothing. We found zero zilch. No podcast about horror. Would have thought it was a popular topic. You would have thought all the good names are taken. But yeah, but every single name that we came up with was available. And at that point, we were like, well, why not just call it the only horror film podcast since there's no other. Yeah. Yeah, we're the only game in town. So if you're listening, uh, you know, welcome and thank you for being here. But, you know, it's your only option, too. So we're it's our pleasure to bring you a podcast that no one else has. Finally, someone thought of the idea of doing a podcast on horror movies. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm Joe. And we, uh, <laughs> we, did we already did, do that. We did that already, but that's OK. <laughs> we, yeah. uh, like I said, we are we are going over this again. So, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to we're going to do our best. Yeah, we're doing our best. It was, it was going so well, too. Yeah, we really right. had a nice flow going. It was good. Yeah. It was like our best episode yet for sure. Oh, yeah. By a long shot. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, so, OK. So, Joe, a little bit about what's going on in your life right now. Right. So you moved. Yeah, I did. I moved into a new place to mid city. We're in L.A. Mid city, Los Angeles. Yeah. Before I was living on Rampart, which is uh, a notorious street. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's where the movie Training Day is set. Yeah. Horrifying place. Uh, you know, the movie Rampart with Woody Harrelson about corrupt cops and the <laughs> LAPD. Yeah. You know, and uh, you were saying Predator and Predator. Predator 2. Predator 2. Bill Paxson's character is from Rampart and he's destroyed. He's, he's from the Rampart division of the LAPD. And That's he's like right. the, new, the new young, like badass yeah, maverick. Yeah. Hard ass motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Bill Paxton. Yeah, one of the greats. One of the greats, as we said. Yeah, we'll before. get to him when we do Near Dark. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so we're we're liking the new place a lot less gunshots. Yeah, it's a lot quieter, more That's space. Less gunshot. Me. Have you heard a gunshot yet? We haven't heard any gunshots Fantastic. yet, and you know it was like a minimum of one or two a night at our old place. That's insane. And, you know, and like uh, you know, I was telling uh, earlier, we were saying I had a about a month or so ago, uh, my fiance was trying to come home from uh, a lunch with friends. But she wasn't able to because a SWAT team had our building completely surrounded. Yeah, that blows my mind. Yeah, would not let her enter. So Jesus. that was we were like, we really got to get out of this neighborhood. I'm glad you guys are out of there. 
Yeah, we're we're happy about it too. And so, you guys like your new spot, two bedroom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, other news I wanted to mention, uh, just because I think we talked about it before. Uh, I have hopefully recruited the the guitarist and bass player I needed to round up the lineup for my uh, my band Botched Execution. So hey, that's fucking great. You know, I'll keep you guys updated when yeah. we get our demo release. But you know, now we hopefully will have the full lineup. Yeah, that's badass. So pretty excited. Congrats. About that. Thank you. That's huge. Uh, well, I was saying uh, before, uh, you guys don't know. But uh, I was telling Joe here that uh, I, and we, I'm not sure if we mentioned in the last podcast, but I'm 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 was thinking about leaving L.A. and going to New York. And where I'm at now is I'm kind of thinking I, I, maybe I'll try to split the time. Maybe I will try the bi-coastal thing because people can swap apartments. I might try to do something like that because I'm going to be having more work here because I'm an actor. I'm a comedian and uh, do more comedy in uh, New York, more acting out here in L.A. I know I'm going to yeah. have to be back here. I'm going to miss my friends like you, Joe. Yep. Um. So I think I'm we're going to miss gonna... you, too. But hopefully, you know, if you're back and forth, we won't have to miss you that much. Cause... Yeah. And we won't have to do too many Zoom podcasts. Yeah. Which would be ideal. You know, yeah. I think, you know, we'll make that work. But I think it's probably best having us here together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Uh... But anyways, so that's happening. Yep. Um, and uh, we were talking about I just did a show called Gaslit. I was I played a lawyer in the in the Watergate trial. Yeah, the Watergate trial. I played a, a special prosecutor named Richard Benveniste, who was a real guy. And I got to talk to him on the phone for the role, which yeah. uh, was really exciting and cool. It's pretty cool. He was a nice guy. He called me on a road trip with his wife and uh, just talked to me about uh, how he hated G. Gordon Liddy. And um, and also the scene never happened. That was a thing. He was like, that never happened. They wouldn't bring anybody who pleads the fifth to the to the uh, witness stand. That makes sense because they wouldn't, you know, <laughs> what are you going to just ask questions to a guy who's not going to talk? But yeah, I saw the scene and uh, it's a great scene. Yeah, it was um, a good scene. You know, I uh, I think you nailed the performance. Thanks, uh, buddy. You know, Nick, by the way, is a great actor. He was in Halt and Catch Fire. He's That's in The sure. Offer playing uh, John Cazala, one of the greatest actors of his generation. One of the greatest. Yeah. You know, every movie he was in was uh, nominated for Best Picture. You know, yeah. I think that's uh, pretty cool. You got to play two real people. Two real people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was flattered and honored and grateful. And uh, when you were doing a lot of commercials, you were a little bit like not as enthused about acting. But well, yeah, I mean, commercials are really the only thing about commercials is money. Like yeah. there's no artistic value. I mean, maybe occasionally you might get to work with like a cool director, which you do. You get to work with some cool directors and cinematographers and stuff. Yeah, you get to audition for some cool directors too, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. What, did I tell you? I told you that story. You told right? me. Uh, yeah, you auditioned for Michelle. Uh, uh, Michelle Gondry. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't know it was him because I'd never seen his face before. Yeah. And he made me do some weird shit in the uh, commercial and um, audition where I had to like get down on my knees and unscripted not in the script I had to get down on my knees and like cross my heart and like beg my wife to like t take me back or something it was like a crazy weird thing and the ad agency was in the room and they were like what and he was also nodding off the whole time and Amazing. I later found out when I got another audition I was talking to the casting director I was like what was up with that crazy dude and he's like oh that was Michelle Gondry and I was like it blew my mind yeah and then he was like uh <laughs> And I was like, why was he like falling asleep? He's like, well, he doesn't sleep. Apparently he just doesn't sleep. He's got like narcolepsy or yeah, something he's like, like narcoleptic, that. Uh, or, or he's like uh, insomniac. I think he's like an insomniac. Yeah. But um, but yeah, but, uh, you know, I just thought it was such a but knowing that that was Michelle Gondra. I mean, I thought he was fucking with me like and I left that audition like upset. I was like, why did he make yeah. me do that in front of all those people? But I think he's just he's just an odd guy and he likes to see actors do weird stuff, even if it's a commercial. But anyways, let's talk about. Hellraiser. Yeah. You know, we, w we went through, you know, we, w 
went through that a lot more naturally before, but you know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we sped through it this time, you know, and, and yeah. we got a lot of information out and I think it's, uh, there's some interesting stuff in yeah. there, you know, but yeah, yeah. Onto the movie. That's what yeah. we're here for, right? Yeah. We're here for Hellraiser, a yeah. movie that another movie that I haven't seen because that's kind of what this podcast is, right? Is yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. The premise of this podcast is, uh, you know, I've been into horror movies since I was like, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in my mid thirties now. So it's been you know, like a good 20 years yeah, yeah. of being like a hardcore horror fan. Yeah. Uh, and Nick just, just started getting into him recently. Yeah. So, I'm 32 and I'm, I'm just now getting into horror. Yeah. So, uh, I'm picking a movie out and he's watching it and then we talk about it. That's right. And uh, it's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. It's been fun so far. And yeah. yeah. I actually really dig the whole idea of it. Cause I'm, I, I just, I went through a breakup. I got an apartment on my own and then I was just like, for some reason, horror just kind of clicked, you know, it makes sense. You know, yeah. it's like when you've been through some stuff, it, it, like the genre, it just kind of like, I don't know, there's something about it. Yeah. That, uh, that just connects after yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. know, you've, uh, experienced some, uh, some tough times. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's just, I guess it was just sad and it was just, I wanted to like feel something. And uh, and horror made me feel. It'll so, definitely make stuff. you do that. I think it's you know it's interesting because we're both stand up comedians, right? And horror is about the polar opposite of stand up comedy. Yeah, but a lot of comics love horror, and a lot of like uh, comedians like like I mean, look at uh, Jordan Peele. You know. Yeah, you know, I like there's a lot of similarities to comedy and, and horror, and that's I think part of what I'm really enjoying about it. Yeah, it's a you know I think they're both like you know very like visceral emotional things. You know, yeah, like yeah, you, like you feel them like deep down. Right. But I thought uh, I thought it was great. I thought one thing, a few things I loved about it were the set pieces were incredible. The makeup, the costuming, um, the characters, uh, super imaginative. Um, I did say in the when we were recording that uh, I thought the acting was bad. Yeah. Uh, but but you you um, your thing is you're saying that, uh, you know, it's, they're, they're theater actors and they come from theater. And it yeah. doesn't you know, I'm not uh, trained in theater. I don't know a lot about theater. Um but it is a thing like when there are theater actors on film, they tend to come off as like, oh, maybe they're bad actors, but they're they're just they come from where like acting is bigger. You have to be bigger for. Yeah. The, the for the stage. stage, you know, you have to like emote twice as hard and you have to like bring more energy. Yeah, it's a different you know? it's a very different style. And like film acting, like uh, in the classical sense, is way more about subtlety. Yes. Yeah, subtlety, know, and realism. very small, very. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. And um, Clive Barker, the director of Hellraiser, he comes from a theater background too. Right. He was he started out as a theater director in high school. Uh, did that for years. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, became like a short story writer, a novelist. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I um, yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, we're when, uh, you said that um, Roger Ebert had like a, a review of the of the movie, and he said that it was. Uh, Gave it a half star. Half star, which is so brutal. Yeah. He said it was a movie without wit, style, and reason. And the true horror was that the actors were made to realize and portray and the technicians to realize it's bankruptcy of imagination. That's what he said, which is... You know, and hearing that review again, uh, it makes me feel like he really just wanted to say bankruptcy of imagination. Yeah, it's incredible because Hellraiser, for those who have not seen it, is like the most original horror movie possibly ever made. Yeah, like, no, you it's you like, couldn't think something like this up. No, like, like only Clive Barker could have imagined this. There's right. never really been anything else like it either. Right. It spawned 12 sequels if you count uh short films and video games. Right, right. I think like 9 feature films. And this is the first one I've ever seen. But it's <laughs> like it's the only movie in its genre, you know, like right. whereas like 
Halloween spawned, you know, thousands of slasher copycats. Right, right. You know, and, you know, you have every, you know, other every other genre has been done to death. But sure. Hellraiser is like its own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, it was super fun. I mean, the characters are crazy. And I was, I, I was the, uh, I don't want to keep saying, I was saying on the last thing, but, uh, but I, when I was a kid, I, you know, I would go to Blockbuster and I would see the cover of, of Hellraiser with the pinhead guy, yeah. uh, the Cenobite, the lead Cenobite. And I would be horrified, you know, and I knew I, in my head, I was like, I'll never see that movie. I don't ever want to see whatever that is. Yeah. It was terrifying. And I had the exact same reaction as a kid going to the video store in the nineties Yeah, and just being so like, you couldn't look at it if you could glance at it and you were just like creeped out immediately. I I probably had nightmares about just the cover of the film. Yeah. That and like the life-size Freddy Krueger cardboard cutout they had at the video store. Really like a huge nightmare. Yeah. Awful. Uh, Okay. So. Let's talk about the, the the background of this movie. Let's talk about some stuff. Let's talk about Clive and... Uh... Yeah, let's get into that. So uh, Hellraiser, it was released in 1987 on a budget of just under a million dollars. It was actually, uh, it was an adaptation. Clive Barker wrote the novella that it's based on called The Hellbound Heart. Okay. Um, and the reason he ended up directing it was because he was a screenwriter and the first two movies that he wrote the screenplays for, he didn't think were very good. Uh, sure. Under, uh, Underworld and Rawhead Rex. Okay. Yeah. And that happens with a lot of directors is, uh, is people direct their stuff they write and then they're like, no, I hate how they did that. And I really want to do it. It's like Woody Allen. It was a first, which I'm sorry to reference a horrible person, but when he made a, uh, his first, he wrote like wrote a movie, someone directed it. And, he, and from that point on, he was like, no one will ever direct any more of my movies. Yeah. That was kind of the thing with Clive. And like uh, he had done a lot of theater, but it was his first time directing and to prepare for directing Hellraiser. Uh, he went to the library and tried to check out a book on how to direct a film. Oh, really? But the only two books the library had were already checked out. So he went into it just having to guess his way through directing his first feature film. Whoa. And, and you say, wait, you said Hellraiser was his first? Yeah, it was the first movie he ever directed, and he knocked it out of the park. Like That's crazy. It's absolutely a classic. There are people who don't like it. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, for me, I personally think it's too scary for them. I think they can't take it because yeah. it is a... Uh, it is a it's, it's an unsettling. It's super unsettling. Yeah. I mean, is. even... even For me, I was like once... I mean, sometimes it takes me a minute to get past like... Uh, kind of like the cheesiness of like the old style of film, you know? Yeah. But uh, I think the more horror that I'm watching, the the quicker I get over shit like that. But you, you, once, get it, you build up a tolerance. You kind of get used right, to it. Right, right. Uh, once you're in it, I mean, you're just... It's just... It's horrifying. I mean, was this like a, a scary watch for you? Was it like I, it didn't fuck me up? You know, it didn't like. Uh, but I, I was like, you weren't having to like go lock all your doors. No, and no, check. no. I was like, um, but I was just enjoying it uh, in a way where I was like, this is scary, and I love, I, I love that it's like so disturbing. You yeah, know? it really, uh, it goes like it goes hard as fuck. Yeah, and yeah, like, it really does. Yeah, like, it really does. It's insane. Yeah, and the, it's the like, idea that I, mean, I, I, I just gotta. Roger Ebert, I, I can't get over him saying it's unimaginative. What a hack. You what know? a hack. Like, I really, I, I despise Roger Ebert. <laughs> that like, son of a bitch. I, you know, he also hated The Thing, John Carpenter's well, that's, The Thing. Well, that's is, absurd. Yeah. That know? movie's incredible. He said it was just like gross. Yeah, suck, yeah suck it. <laughs> which like, you know, it won an Academy Award for, for visual effects. Right, yeah. Which, by the way. Uh, that movie's fucking incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to do that one soon. Yeah, we'll yeah, do, it's, we'll it's do it's an like episode a, on that Yeah, one. that's. One of John Carpenter's masterpieces for sure. Yeah. But yeah, you know, Hellraiser had 18 different people 
in the makeup department. Yeah, it shows. Uh, and yeah, on a budget of under a million dollars, which is like, it's crazy what they were able to pull off with that. Yeah, I feel like they were, I mean, you had to fucking probably pulling shit out of dumpsters and stuff. You know, I mean, that like, yeah, the, the, the practical effects in this movie are, are so astounding. I mean, there's, and they're so, Roger Ebert, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Unimaginative. I can't let it go. But it, I, they're, they're like the most complex, weird, crazy for their faces. The chatter guy, the fucking, yeah. the, the engineer. I mean, like. Yeah. So like the, the, so we're talking about the monsters from the movie now. We've got the Cenobites, Cenobite. which is a group of four, uh, they're extra dimensional beings. Yeah. Who uh, first appeared in the Hellbound Heart, the novella by Clive. Uh, and. All the uh, all the Hellraiser and all its sequels. And they're part of a religious sect in hell known as the Order of the Gash. Right. Ooh, <laughs> Order of the Gash. Okay. Yeah. And they uh, they describe themselves as explorers in the further regions of experience. Right on. And they grant sadomasochistic pleasures to the people who summon them. That's right. Yeah. They say that they're not. People describe them as demons or... Uh or uh, monsters, but they're like, we're just, we're explorers. You yeah. Know? You know, it's, it's weird. They're an interesting villain. Right. Because like, they're not like, uh, they're not like, you know, a traditional slasher movie where they're just out to kill everybody. Right. You know, they almost have like a weird neutrality about them. Like, uh, well, it feels like they're kind of in denial. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a right? little bit, you know, it feels like they're just like, uh, like they, they, uh, they, they, they just believe that they're totally something else. Not, and we're, we're like, no, you're just, like uh, you just like to torture people and you're uh, just evil, but they're like, no, 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 we're explorers. Yeah. So like, you know, the Cenobites, they get summoned, you know, there's a, a puzzle box. Right. And if you, it's called the lament configuration. Right. Right. And if you solve it, it summons the Cenobites, which is this group of these four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beings. They're dressed all in like black leather, like kind of S and M robe looking things. Right. All right. Like right. Pale white. And they're all fucked up, you know, yeah. like in their own way. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we well, let's we can go through the the plot synopsis and kind of talk about the film and then come back to this stuff yeah yeah you we got a lot that? yeah let's go let's go let's do it that way let's do that so i wrote up a, a little something we'll, we'll speed through this um because i know a lot of you guys have probably seen this movie um so we'll just go through it and 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 then we'll we'll comment on some stuff throughout um but the movie begins in morocco we see frank cotton cotton i think right yeah, I, I just know him as Frank. But Frank. Yeah. So we see Frank, who's a who's a sadomasochist, right? He's sitting with yeah. this old man in Morocco who sells him this uh, puzzle box, uh, and he says, "What's your pleasure, sir?" Right? Yeah. Classic uh, uh, line, I'm assuming. Oh, um, yeah. So Frank gets the box, then he goes to the stingy attic. He opens a pu- the he opens the puzzle box, and he immediately is sent into another realm. Yeah. And hooks and chains appear and and just tear his body to shreds. Yeah, so like, yeah, you know, he's just like in this attic, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I think does Pinhead appear or no? He's not I there. Th- I don't, I don't know. I think we might see a little bit of Pinhead at, in that moment. But, but yeah, so like that's a that's a real like moment from this movie is like he just he he solves the box, and then these hooks come out of nowhere, ripping, and they just tear tear his, him to pieces, tear his whole flesh apart, and that. Yeah. They had to uh, cut that because originally they showed his head exploding and his brains oozing out. But the censors for like the MPAA forced them to cut some of that. Sure. Okay. And it's, it's already so intense. It's super like gory. Like, you can't believe there was more to it. That's incredible. I would love to see that. I'd love to see a director's yeah. cut. So they tear his body apart. And then later we see the gory aftermath of Frank's body. Pieces lying around hanging up on uh, the wall. And uh, this like, is like spinning pillars. Spinning pillars have with chains his, his, and hooks all attached to them. Yeah. And his ears. Little pieces of him all over. His little f- pieces of his face are splayed out across the floor. Then we see a black robed figure uh, takes the box 
and returns the box to its original shape and changes it back to the original room. Um, Which is just an empty old attic, right? The empty old attic. Uh, we flash forward. Frank's brother, Larry, and his second wife, Julia, are moving into the house because Frank's gone missing and they uh, didn't want to live in Brooklyn anymore. So they just want to move into this house. Yeah. And also try to work on their marriage. I think their marriage is strained a bit. Yeah. It seems, you know, there's definitely some tension there. And yeah. she's like super cold, frigid. I think she's uh, English. Yeah. She's got that's a bit a, of an accent. That's an interesting thing with Hellraiser, actually, because it was originally set in England. Right. But uh, Roger Corman's New World Pictures was the, the production company. And they decided it would be com- more commercial to set it in America. Yeah. So she's the only English one. Yeah. So it's yeah. like this weird thing where it's like half the characters are English, half of them are American. And actually... Uh, Let's see, John Chapman, I think is his name. Sean Chapman. Sean Chapman. Who played Frank, is an English actor, and they actually dubbed all of his lines with an American voice actor. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, that's incre- it's crazy. Yeah, right? Like, Wow. Okay, that's a lot of... Uh, uh, at least it's a job for whoever did that. Um, all right, so... Yeah, he probably was disappointed. But. <laughs> all right, so uh, Larry and his wife... They discover a room upstairs and um, they assume that's where Frank slept because there's a cot on the floor. It's all dirty and gross. Julia finds pictures of Frank fucking all these women. And it's revealed pretty quickly that Julia had uh, and Julia and Frank had an affair. Yeah, there's a flashback, right? And it's yeah. Like right before she's getting married to Larry. Yeah, there's clearly there's something going on. It's it's um, I like that he comes in from the rain. You know, yeah, and he's just kind of standing there, and he's like, "Can I come in?" And she just doesn't let him in for a good a good two minutes, which uh, which I thought was uh, uh, pretty funny. That scene actually was apparently originally way more. Uh, Clive Barker said it was way more erotic. Yeah, and there's a, a fun quote about that scene. So it was initially a much hotter flashback sequence between Julia and Frank. It was more explicit and less violent, but the censor uh, uh, they said, uh, "Let's take out the sodomy and put in a flick knife." <laughs> Okay, so, so sodomy was replaced by a knife. Yeah, so instead he has a switchblade and like they, you know. So instead of ha- having anal sex forcibly, probably? Maybe. It seemed like it was pretty consensual. Pretty consensual, but, yeah. You know, yeah. So instead of uh, a knife, it's a, uh, okay. All right, cool. Yeah, they I, thought that, they thought, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's, they that's, thought that would be better for some reason. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's not honestly. I would if if it were me, I would prefer sodomy over a knife. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of people. Would. Yeah, I think most people would. Yeah, uh, I'm good, glad we figured that out. <laughs> uh, okay, and we also have another character here, uh, Larry's teenage daughter, uh, Kirsty, yep, played uh, by Ashley Lawrence. Ashley Lawrence, and uh, she's like going to college or something, right? And yeah. She doesn't want to move in with her parents at this house. She's got a place right. of her own. Um, the house, by the way, is full of rotten food and bugs and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, all gross. It's, it's disgusting. And it makes no sense why um, anyone would feel comfortable walking through it. Yeah. Uh, so at one point, <laughs> this is a moment that I actually really like. So Larry's moving a mattress up the stairs with a couple of movers who, by the way, are not shy about blatantly harassing his wife. Yeah. Uh, they are just, looking, just like, her, hit it, yeah. looking her up and down. Like, I think they comment on how beautiful she is or something right in front of I me. Mean, just like no shame at all. Yeah. Uh, but I do also love that uh, they're trying to get this mattress up to the room and there's three guys. Two of them are professional movers. Yeah. And they just cannot get this mattress. No, up. it's it's the fucking world's heaviest mattress. Right. It's the world's heaviest mattress. And the angle doesn't look very complicated, but they are just like, no, nah, it's stuck really here. struggling, really, really struggling. 
for no real reason. So Julia's in the attic, basically like jerking it to Frank memories. Yeah. And um, Larry cuts his, his uh, hand on a nail from moving the mattress. Yep. And he bleeds all over the place. And he goes into the attic to, to see Julia yeah. and to get help. And uh, he starts bleeding all over the floor. And Julia takes him to the hospital. And as the blood drips on the floor, it seeps into the wood immediately. Yeah. So while they're at the hospital, the corpse of Frank starts to form in, uh, from the floor. And he's basically this like just de- deteriorated half corpse. Yeah, he's all he's like borderline a puddle, right? Like he's, he's like he's a like, puddle yeah, of a man. He's like maybe just a couple bones and like the, the blood brings him back. Right. Okay, so then uh, when they get home later, Julia goes into the room and discovers Frank is there now. Yeah. And Frank demands that uh, she bring him uh, more blood because that's the only way that he can regenerate himself. He needs blood to build himself back up to a human form. Yeah. So she starts going out to bars and bringing back men. Yeah, she's um, picking up dudes. Picking up dudes, flirting with them at bars, bringing them back to the house and beating them over the head with a hammer. Yeah, just bashing them and... <laughs> murdering them and then giving them to Frank. And Frank digs his fingers into their necks and feeds on them. Yeah, he sucks like their blood out and it all starts, the life and his, out of his them. His body like starts kind of reforming. Yeah. So he's like a skinless, a skinless, disgusting. Yeah, just his muscles and all sinewy and uh, nasty. Yeah. And, and uh, Monster Frank was played by Oliver Smith, by the way, who uh, he got cast because he was the skinniest actor they could find. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I think he seemed pretty skinny to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that because I was like, it doesn't really look like uh, like Frank. Yeah. It was a you know, guy in a lot of makeup. Uh, impressive makeup. Too. Impressive. He, makeup. The makeup's like, great. It looks like a real skinless human corpse. Hell it's yeah. Like crazy. It's awesome. All right. Let's keep blowing through this. We got uh, a little bit left here. Uh, so Larry explains to Julia that he had exhausted all sensory experiences. Essentially, he fucked everything and did everything sexually that well, he just... Frank explains Oh, it. sorry, sorry. So, yeah, yeah, that was Frank. So Larry's the square. That's right. Larry's the square. Yeah. So Frank explains to Julia, like, I fucked everything and I did all this stuff and I, I, I couldn't... Basically, I can't come anymore. Yeah, fucked he, his way into... Boredom. Oblivion. Yeah, yeah, he was just done. And so he uh, goes... He's So he's like, so yeah, I went and I bought this puzzle and they promised me all these new pleasures, but then it ended up bringing him essentially to this hell where the Cenobites, um, you know, just tore him to pieces. Yep. We're going to cut a little bit here. We're going to go to Kirsty. Um, I think she hears from, from her dad, Larry. I think she hears that he, she, that Julia is being weird, right? Yeah, that or, sounds right. I think from somebody. So Kirsty starts spying on Julia um, and she sees her bring a man into the house. She follows Julia into the attic where she interrupts Frank eating a guy. So Frank yeah. then attacks her, but Kirsty throws the puzzle box out the window to distract him. And then Frank is pissed. He's like, no, no, no. That's like, I need that thing. Yeah. It's very important. So then she runs off with the box. She Then she passes out while like on the street because she's like from exhaustion and shock. She's just like totally out of it. She wakes up in a hospital. She just saw her skinless uncle. You know, it's reasonable. She just saw, saw her skinless uncle. It makes total sense. I would probably pass out too. So then she wakes up in this hospital. The doctors are like, hey, you need to like stay put. Also, like, we're going to leave this box right here. Maybe you should think about it and tell us what it is when you figure it out. So she picks up the box, solves it. Yep. Because it's basically like, it sounds like a pretty simple Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And the the, the, the lament configuration, the puzzle box, was actually based on a Rubik's Cube and uh, a thing called the Devil's Toy Box, which is a six-sided cube consisting of inward-facing mirrors. Uh, and if you manage to solve it, they say your mind will be permanently warped. Oh, cool. 
That sounds horrifying. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the world's most fucked up Rubik's Cube, basically. God damn. I'd like to warp my brain. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe you know, it'd be good. We're comics. We've already... <laughs> we, we're Their brains are a little twisted. I did a lot of drugs. Uh, so, okay. So, so basically she solves the puzzle and then she's immediately in that, that other realm. Yeah. The and fucking gates to hell open up. Gates to hell open up. The big mo- uh, monster, the engineer, is now revealed to us and to Kirsty, and it chases her through this hallway clawing at the walls i mean it's horrifying yeah it's like this big upside down beast made of like skin and scales it's yeah got like cat eyes and a scorpion tail and multiple rows of teeth yeah it's badass and it hangs upside down from its feet and yeah. like you know run chases after you yeah yeah it's it's pretty it's, sick yeah <laughs> so then she gets back into the, ho- the hospital room she escapes the engineer uh, but then she is approached by the cenobites who tell her that they're going to take her away and basically just they're they're gonna own her and tear her to pieces and but she says I can get you somebody who escaped yeah. uh, from your realm and it's 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 Frank and they say well that's not possible and she says I can prove it to you if I can prove it to you will you let me go and they basically make a deal together so surprisingly reasonable the Cenobites yeah surprisingly reasonable so Kirsty runs home where she finds Frank has uh, killed her dad uh, Larry yeah. and taken his skin. So and he's wearing his brother's skin. Wearing his brother's pretty skin. Fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. And also pretty clear that something's wrong right up top. Yeah. You know, she because he's got a bloody uh, scalp. It's very bloody. Up Larry, there. who is a pretty nice guy, has all of a sudden gotten real creepy, real creepy and weird. A little little uh, Larry esque, I might say. So uh, Julia uh, shows Larry's filleted skinless corpse to Chris to Kirsty for proof. Uh, really just the worst stepmom. You know? Yeah, she yeah, she's pretty terrible. So they uh, lock Kirsty in there with her dead dad. Uh, and then the Cenobites appear demanding to know who killed Larry. They're like, who did this? What's going on? And Kirsty, uh, she tries to escape, but Frank and Julia grab her. And then Frank tries to stab Kirsty, but misses, kills Julia. And while he's at it, he's like, I'm just going to eat you, too. Yeah, Frank is like uh, he's like a total sociopath. Yeah uh sadomasochist never gave a fuck and so he's like i killed you well it's nothing personal he says yeah and he just goes ahead and drains all her and she was totally in love with him. oh she was like out of her mind what the fuck out of her mind totally head over heels like i'll do literally i'll do anything like murder 12 guys with a hammer married to larry but so horny for frank it was crazy it was uh irrationally horny yeah um so (laughs) frank chases uh kirsty into the attic and when Frank is about to kill her, he is then taken away from the Cenobites, uh, by the Cenobites, I mean. And his body is yet again torn to shreds. And that's like when his head explodes. Like his head is just like, yeah. they really fuck him up. Uh, so Kirsty grabs the box from, from, from de- dead Julia's hands, which, by the way, explain this to me. Why is Julia on the bed with hooks all in her? And why is she holding the box? When did that happen? Because you, you never see that happen. Why is she in the bed? You know, uh, I it's, that's a good question. It's a mystery. You know, there are some. Uh, I you feel can, like there you was can some, call them plot holes, but it's you know. I think there was something was cut. It might have been you know because like they did make a lot of cuts to this movie. There's a yeah. lot of stuff removed by the censors. Right. I mean, um, I was okay with it. I was like, sure, she's in the bed. Her face is gone. Uh, yeah. She's holding the box. Why not? You know, the Cenobites did it off camera, I guess. Yeah, maybe something like that happened. Maybe the engineer went to town. So, Kirsty grabs the box, and then she starts banishing the Cenobites somehow. That's yeah, one of the they're, things. They're that, coming after her. They're coming point. after her, and then she, she like lifts up the box, and 
shoots these little orange orbs at the Cenobites and they just disintegrate. They go somewhere else. Yeah, it's kind of like orange lightning kind of comes out of it. That's yeah. That was some people's complaint was like toward the end, the effects got a little bit cheap because they ran out of money, basically. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I gave him a pass. Kersey's boyfriend, Steve, shows up. Uh, we see a little bit of him early in the movie. He's not a really important character. Nice guy. Nice guy. Uh, but he shows up. Uh, they escape. The house collapses. Uh, Kirsty throws the box into a trash fire in like the middle of the city with uh, with Steve. And then a homeless guy who we saw earlier in the movie who has just kind of been stalking her. And he's kind of this weird dude who eats flies and shit. She, yeah, she was when she there's a scene where she's working in the pet store. Yeah. And this homeless guy comes in and he just starts eating the crickets. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so you never know who this homeless guy is. But at the end, he approaches uh, the, the fire, grabs the box, immediately catches fire. And then he turns into like this big winged skeleton creature and flies away with the box. It's like a skeleton of a dragon kind of. Yeah. Like a demonic dragon. Yeah. Right. And it just flies away. And it I flies away. Great crane shot. It turns into a point of view from the dragon thing. And, you know, it just watches Kirsty and her boyfriend as it flies just off totally into the night. totally dumbfounded these two. I mean, you just saw your skinless uncle take your father's skin. Uh, a bunch of demons tried to kill you. But, which, by the way. They went back on their deal. I mean, they, they he she gave him Frank. Yeah. And they were like, hey, we're the Cenobites. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. You know, uh, you, it would have been foolish to trust to take the word of the Cenobites. Absolutely. Honestly. And also, I don't want to skip over um, the uh, um, which I must I believe I already knew this even before watching the movie. Uh, the the line of uh, we have such great sights to show you. Yeah. Which is a great line. Yeah. Um, and that was said by, I believe, Pinhead. Yep. Um, yeah, he has he has a few classic lines. Yeah, we have such great sh- sights to show you right when he's about to grab Kersey. Yeah. It was really, I mean, it's a horrifying thing because yeah. that that evokes so much imagery and you're just like, oh, they love doing these horrible things. You well, know? yeah, and it's like, you know, he's a, this is a guy with nails sticking out of his head. Right. And they're like not randomly in there. They're neatly arranged. Oh, yeah, very neatly arranged. So it's like he took his time putting him in there or oh, whoever, sure. did. whoever so did that yeah. it kind of like sets you up for this like if he's willing to do that to himself what is he going to do to me like totally. that's kind of totally. what the, what the feeling it gives you yeah so then we turn uh we transition back to morocco right we, we they kind of zoom in on the the box and it goes in back into morocco and we're back with the old man selling the box to another dude yep and he says what's your pleasure sir credits roll credits roll and I thought, I mean, that's, it's great. I mean, it's, you know, like we said, there's, there's, there's flaws in this movie, but I mean, overall it's, it's such a goddamn fun ride. Yeah. And you know, it's like, uh, it, it, like we said, there's nothing really like Hellraiser. It's kind of its own thing. Uh, and, uh, the idea, uh, Clive Barker was inspired to, to write it when he was hanging out at S&M Leather Bars in uh, in the meatpacking district of New York. Yeah, I mean, you can, that, 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 whole, that whole sentence is just filthy. Yeah. So S&M he, in the meatpacking district in New York in the fucking 80s? Yeah, he was at a club called Cell Block 28, yeah, where he saw people who were piercing themselves for fun. Woo boy. I don't know if they were doing like the suspension thing where you've seen people who like, sure. you know, they hang themselves from hooks. Right, 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 right. Uh, my fiance somebody saw somebody do that live and completely just passed out once. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. A uh, friend of mine passes out uh, real easy. And I, I, I think of her when I, I hear something like that because she would just immediately fall down. But yeah, you know, the, I guess at that time in New York, the meatpacking district was full of 
meat. These S and M clubs and and meat, you know, which they kind of go hand in hand. You All know? kinds of meats. Uh, so where there's Cell Block Twenty Eight, a uh, few of the others. Uh, there was the Ramrod. Right, of course, there has to be a Ramrod. The the Toolbox. Uh huh. Absolutely. And Kellers. And Kellers. Right, because Kellers, the hard you gotta need you need a hard pivot. You need a hard turn there. Yeah. The Kellers, know. the mystery. Yeah, well, what the fuck was happening at Keller's? We don't know. Right, and and, and I think it was like uh, probably the most fucked up place. It has to be the right? one that sounded the safest. The one that sounded like it was a cereal box, you know? Yeah, a lot of crazy shit going. Yeah, on at Keller's. Keller's. It sounds like a diner or something. In right, Catskill. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was what inspired him to come up with this whole fucked up thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like Clive. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a pretty amazing person. Uh, we we haven't talked much about him yet, right? No, no. Yeah, so I think we mentioned that he started out uh, as, as a theater a, guy. Yeah, he's born in England, uh, in Liverpool, I believe. In Liverpool, right on. Yeah, uh, he was a playwright, author, film uh, director, and visual artist. So he started off doing theater, uh, which is where he met uh, Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead, and a lot of the people who worked on his films. Oh, nice. And then he switched, he kind of pivoted to writing. Uh, so his uh, his notable works include Hellraiser, Candyman, uh, Nightbreed, Lord of Illusions, and my personal favorite title, The Midnight Meat Train. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, back to the meatpacking district, you know? Yeah, so he studied English and philosophy at the University of Liverpool. Uh, when he was three years old, he witnessed a French skydiver named Leo Valentin Uh-oh. plummet to his death oh, during a performance at an air show. God damn. And I think that might have had a long-term effect on oh, him. Oh, yeah. Those are very uh, formative uh, years for your, your brain. Yeah. So he's uh, he's been alluded to in many of Clive's stories. Uh, he became involved in theater in high school, worked with a company called Theater of the Imagination, wrote several plays. Uh, co-founded an avant-garde theater troupe called The Dog Company in 1978, uh, which is where he met Doug Bradley, who played Pinhead. Oh, yeah, Pinhead. And uh, Doug Bradley almost, instead of being Pinhead, he almost played one of the movers. Oh, that's fucking crazy. He was like, yeah, you know, as a young actor, I thought it'd be more important to show my face. Yeah, no, no, no. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I hey, think, thank thank God that he uh, he took Pinhead because uh, he had a... He fucking owns that character, Oh, yeah, too. he has an extensive goddamn career there. Um, and he wanted you wanted to play a mover that harassed a lady. <laughs> That's yeah. what he wanted instead of yeah, a cool a, dude yeah. with nails in his head. Right. I mean, it would have been a lot less time in makeup for sure. Um, also, you did a couple. Yeah, just a just one day on set. Yeah, and you know that's where he uh, also met Peter Atkins, who wrote the first three Hellraiser sequels. Uh, that's where Clyde Barker did. Shifted his focus to writing. Uh, he wrote the Books of Blood, which was a series of horror fiction anthologies. Stephen King called him the future of horror at the time. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and then he kind of transitioned into uh, from horror into like more of a fantasy and urban fantasy genre. Cool. But yeah, we mentioned he got into filmmaking when he was he didn't like the adaptations of his movies. He's a prolific painter and illustrator. His stuff has been shown in galleries in New York, Chicago, L.A. Uh, Is he and, still alive? Yeah. Yeah, oh, still going. Yeah. Published some, a lot of comic books, too. Yeah, Clive. Hell uh, yeah, get it. And a weird coincidence, uh, a comedian friend of mine, I don't know if you know him. Uh, do you know Sareth Nay? Yeah, I do. Sareth interned with Clive Barker for no like shit. four years. Wow. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Damn, that's badass. Um, so he knows Clive super well. They were very close. And I saw like there's a like a note that Clive wrote him one time on Sareth's Instagram just talking about how much he loves Sareth. Oh, that's great, man. Uh, Sareth, Good for you, Sareth. you know, comic we know from, uh, he was part of the Daytona comedy scene. But interesting story, when he was interning with Clive, 
they actually discovered missing reels from Nightbreed in Clive's attic. What? Yeah, which became, which, you know, they shot these reels for the movie and then somehow they just got shuffled around. Wow. And the original cut of Nightbreed is very confusing. But then once they found these missing reels in it and I added them back in, the movie finally makes sense. Oh, good. So the director's cut of Nightbreed is the one that we want to check out. Oh, nice. Hell so yeah. that, that's, uh, I think, the, all the main stuff on Clive Barker. Yeah, yeah. Clive sounds great. Described himself as a six out of 10 on the S&M scale. That's incredible. I mean, I'm into it. I'm into. I'm not into S&M, but uh, I mean, maybe I am. I haven't discovered that part of myself, but. Yeah, but, I don't think it's my thing personally. Yeah, yeah. You know. But you never know. Uh, but but Clive, I mean, good for you, man. I mean, six is pretty high. That's pretty good. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, uh, one thing I've noticed about like uh, Clive and Doug Bradley and Ashley Lawrence is they all uh, in interviews and stuff. They all seem like slightly terrifying people. Sure. You know, like they're, you know, they're like, you know, it makes sense that they made such a scary, intense movie because they're all like very intense. And uh, Ashley Lawrence, who played Kirsty, interesting note. She, uh, she was also an artist. So she and Clive got along great. Oh, and when great. they were on the set of Hellraiser, they just started like painting the walls and shit, and they had a great old time. Oh, that's awesome, man! You know, that's great. That sounds awesome. I, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to, I wanted to bring this up, right? So Ju- mm-hmm. Julia, horny as fuck. Yeah, Julia so horny. Played by uh, Claire Higgins. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to my friend Katrina the other day. You know Katrina Davis. Uh, yeah, I was ta- I was telling her, you know, uh, great comedian, great comedian. Uh, but I was saying. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm watching all these horror movies, you know, and there's like a theme of like these women who are just irrationally horny, you know, like just horny, like crazy horny that they fuck everything up. Like everything is just ruined. Because yeah, I guess honestly, the the every movie we had has had one of these women. Yeah. Katrina. Katrina said like, uh, yeah, it's like they're, they just scream. I'm mad for dick and then run into traffic. You know, I was like, yeah, that's kind of what it is like. That's a great fucking quote. <laughs> it's a great quote. So originally the MPAA wanted to give Hellraiser an X rating. So a lot of the original violence and eroticism had to be cut out, including a close-up shot of a hammer lodged into a victim's head. Oh, I would have loved to see that. Yeah. That would have been fun. Julia, one of the men she murdered, uh, originally the actor decided that it would make sense for him to be naked. Uh, (laughs) They didn't like that, so they made him reshoot it partially clothed. Right, right. But these are all choices to me that make sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, with, with the hammer thing, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a gory film, do that, sure. But then the naked guy, I mean, it's like she's taking them home to to uh, to allegedly fuck them like yeah. they're they're they think that they're gonna get laid and so it would make sense for one of them at least to get naked some eager guy you yeah know? you know uh also and, everyone wants to see a naked guy get murdered yeah who doesn't <laughs> yeah. you know um and then uh there was a close-up of Kirsty sticking her hands into frank's stomach exposing his guts oh hell yeah which sounds delightful yeah, sounds great uh there's a longer version of frank being torn to pieces by the cenobites or his head explodes and his brain messily splashes out right 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 uh, and then i think we already talked about the uh the whole sodomy knife thing yeah the sodomy knife thing what a great detail love that other interesting stuff that i learned from the last drive-in uh which is one of my sources for a lot of this right so that's movie. a show that's uh it's on shutter and it's like a show about horror movies it's uh it's based on tnt's monster vision kind of okay so, so that it's is. got a host right. uh joe bob briggs who in the 80s was america's only drive-in movie critic oh nice uh and his character he's like a texas redneck who loves uh you know horror and exploitation movies so he hosts the movies kind of okay. like it would be if you were watching it on tnt back in the day yeah 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 so he introduces it. He gives you background on it and just you know talks about it and makes it more fun. I think it's great. That's awesome. Um, 
But yeah, so uh, the the house where the movie was shot in England, it was abandoned up for sale because somebody killed themselves in it. Oh, right on. Yeah, that'll do you it. Know? Yeah, that'll do it. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to say right on. Like I think that's a good thing. No, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing, thing. But but that will do it. It but will. A lot of houses go like, abandoned. You know, it fits the vibe of Hellraiser. Just right. Being totally. Totally dark and fucked up. That's a great. Uh, that's um, a great detail. The British Board of Film Classification, which is kind of like the MPAA here who rates movies, but they're way more strict. Yeah. Uh, they actually called Clive Barker and had him come into their office, uh, demanded to know if he had harmed any rats in the making of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause you know, there's different parts where Frank, uh, he, I think the first blood that he gets aside from Larry's cut hand is he grabs a rat and sucks its blood out. Right. Right. Yeah. And then um, he, he, he like fillets a rat yeah. uh, on top of, uh, Julia and, and, um, Larry as they're getting intimate. Yeah, so like, yeah. Uh, yeah, they um they made him come into the office and show him the mechanical rats and make them squirm around and stuff. It's crazy to prove it, which uh, you know, kind of a little bit like Cannibal Holocaust. Where they yeah, Cannibal him, Holocaust made him show that you know behind the scenes footage to prove he hadn't murdered anyone making right. The movie. Sure, I fucking fucked that movie. Um, originally they wanted to call the movie the Hellbound Heart. Okay, which is what the book was called. Sure, sure. Uh, but New World thought it sounded too much like a romance. Uh, so Clive came up with the title Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. A little long. They decided that was a little too explicit. Sure. A little too uh, on the nose. Yeah. There was a crew member. It was a 60-year-old lady who uh, said, uh, she said, I would call it what a woman would do for a good fuck. Hey. Which is kind of like the theme of the whole thing. You know? Absolutely. Like, That's what we were just really talking what about. really drives the plot. Yeah. Hey, I um, like that lady. Yeah. She sounds delightful. I mean, that's like you could probably name... A bunch of horror films, that exact thing. Yeah. What a know. woman would do for a good fuck. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's interesting because a lot of, you know, horror movies, they get stereotyped as being like misogynistic because it's a lot of, a lot of them have a lot of women being murdered. But, right. You know, like occasionally they turn it around. Right. Yeah. And they, you know, she turn, takes control with, yeah. her, uh, with her horny. Yeah. Vagina. And it's interesting because like, I don't know what Clive's uh, uh, connection to that is because he's identified as gay since he was about 18 years old. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, and the independent in England actually named him one of the most, a hundred most influential gay men in England. So. Oh, I thought you were going to say one of the uh, hundred most gay men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. 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 Six out of 10. Yeah. Which uh, happy pride, everybody. Yeah, Happy pride folks. I uh, mean, I mean, that's when we're recording this. We yeah. It's pride out. month. It's June. Yeah, it is June. Um, and yeah, support your, uh, you know, be a good ally to your LGBTQIA yeah. Try not friends. to eat a Chick-fil-A this month. You yeah, know? fuck Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, oh, uh, Claire Higgins, who played Julia, has never seen the movie because it makes her too queasy. That's fair. She's uh, not really well known in the U.S., but in England, she's like a huge star. She's in all kinds of BBC stuff. And, oh, right on. Uh, good for her. He'll, still going. She was recently in Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Andrew Robinson, who played Larry. Uh, he was also the serial killer in Dirty Harry. Okay. Uh, he played Liberace in the 1988 TV movie. Uh, you go, girl. Founded, uh, well, we're talking about Andrew Robinson. Yeah, I know. I just uh, called him girl. I just wanted to. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> hey. uh, he founded the Matrix Theater Company in LA, uh, and he's the director of graduate acting program at USC. Oh, right on. He claims to uh, turn out the greatest actors of his generation. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not a big fan of him anymore. <laughs> I, I like him. Yeah, no, I mean, he probably does. You know, when uh, talking about how he gets into character, Doug Bradley playing Pinhead says he gets into full makeup, asks everyone to leave the room, and stares into the mirror as long as he can stand it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. 
Yeah, and uh, said, you know, uh, other actors have said, if you're going to play evil, you stare into your own eyes until you see evil, which I think is what he's doing there. Yeah, I I, I feel like, oh, God, that's, I mean, I feel like I've already done that. Yeah. (laughs) Just on my own. You know, you have one manic episode and you definitely see some evil in there. It's it's very uncomfortable. It's there. But, you know, Carl Jung says you have to embrace that part of yourself. Right, right. It's in all of humanity. Yeah, right, right, right. Thanks, Carl. We all have that darkness in us. No, of course. You got to have it. You got to have you got to find a healthy outlet for I mean, that's it. That's how horror movies are made, you know? Let's see anything else. Oh, uh Clive Barker, uh he took his mom to the premiere of the film. Okay. And when she saw his name on the opening credits, she started crying tears of joy, and he turned to her and said, "This is the happiest you're going to be for the next 2 hours." <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that quote. Oh, hey, man. I mean, I feel like we got a good pod here. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're uh, you know, do we, uh, anything else that we want to say about Hellraiser? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I wouldn't mind watching the second one sometime. The second one is good. It's yeah, a solid I, sequel. Some people prefer it. You know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go too far into the, to the, the franchise, you know, cause I, I don't really like when movies start to get really bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't, I haven't really, uh, you know, gone yeah, into yeah. those either. You know, some uh, horror movie franchises, you get mixed results. Yeah, sure. You know? I mean, you know, maybe one day we'll just, we'll have a series of episodes where we're just like, you know, we're diving into all the Hellraiser. If we're on episode like 374 or something, yeah, you right, know, right. maybe we'll have to get to the Hellraiser sequels. But I think there's, you know. I mean, I'm sure they're entertaining to, to talk about in a way, you know. Yeah, they have, they, I think they have their moments sure, too. Sure, sure. You know. Uh, no, but I think that's good, man. I think, uh. I think I think we're good for for Hellraiser. I think we did a good job. I think it's pretty well rounded. I hope we did it justice because it really, I you know, I think it's one of the greatest horror movies of the eighties. And you know, yeah. And if you haven't seen it, see if you've seen it, and you haven't seen it in a while, go rewatch it. You know, I'm probably gonna watch it again at some point. It's a it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's dark and scary and fucked up. Yeah. uh, And. but uh, okay, so let's go through. Uh, let's let's talk about what we're doing next week, and then we'll get out of here. So yeah. we thought uh, Joe and I discussed before recording that um, we've been doing kind of a lot of um, sort of like supernatural, supernatural yeah, multi alternate dimension yeah. kind of stuff, and uh, maybe move on to like another different subgenre of ho- uh, horror. And uh, we landed on slasher. Yeah, I'm going to take a hard pivot into, you know, something a little more grounded in reality. Grounded in reality. I, I, I don't think I'm going to be a big slasher fan. I'm not too, but I don't know. Maybe I will like it. I, you know, this one which is, could convert you. We're, we, the one we chose, the one, the one I chose is uh, Dario Argento's Tenebre. Tenebre. Yeah. I'm already is, scared. Uh, which is the Italian word for darkness i believe okay it's a scary fucking movie i think okay all right you if you know, think that then i mean i think i will end up thinking that yeah you know it was a italian horror movie made in the 80s you know we're gonna be in that decade a lot because it was kind of the golden era of horror we'll get sure. into the more modern stuff and maybe even go eventually back into the the classics you know the, yeah you know the old black and white stuff but, yeah 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 you know i think we're gonna probably focus on modern stuff for initially but yeah tenebre will be our next episode so look forward to that. All right. I'm excited about it. Um, all right, man. Well, let's call it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the only horror movie podcast. Yeah. The only option when it comes to horror movie podcasts. And I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy that um, we've all kind of discovered this new type of podcast. Yeah. Um, so we'll see you guys next uh, next episode. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs>
Ha 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 ha!